Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host. And today I have an amazing lady on the show. Her name is Karen Doobie. Not like, not spelled the same as the Doobie Brothers, but sounds like the Doobie Brothers. So I have Karen Doobie on and this lady is amazing. And I can't wait to hear her story and have y'all hear her story. So stay with us and do me a favor, by the way, and go ahead and share this out. Share it to everybody that you know, so we can get a bunch of people on here to listen to Karen's story. And we'll see you guys in just a second. Okay, we're back. Let me bring Karen on the show. Karen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Look who's watching already. Look at that. Yay, <laughs> Yay Amy Lee. I love Amy Lee. I love so, Amy Lee. So, so Karen, I, um, I started this a little over five years, five and a half years ago, I guess. Um, and it was really to help myself more than anything, I think, to have a breakthrough in life. And I've had that breakthrough as a result. But, you know, it's I think that we can help other people the most by sharing our vulnerabilities, our ups and downs and our breakthroughs with with people. And um, so that's what this is about. It's your story. So why don't you tell everybody, start with telling them where you were born and raised. Where did it all begin for Karen? Well, first, I'm a vulnerability maniac. So I wear my heart on my sleeves. I, I'm not a good poker face. <laughs> my emotions are very clear when I'm going through anything. So that is very transparent part of me. Um, I was born and raised in New York. So I am a New Yorker. I walk and I talk and I live in New York. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love New York in my heart, but I think that it's not going to be where I stay and remain because I do love warmer weather. And every time when it gets to this time of the year, I say, why are we here again? So it's I, I feel that. I, that's why I moved to Dallas because we were in Ohio. <laughs> and I'm like, why are we doing this? Like it's nonstop. It's painful. Yeah. So, yeah. I do believe to my like heart that there is longevity in having the great outdoors. And when you have to stay indoors for so much of the year, cause it's freezing frigid. Yeah. Uh, I think it takes away from the quality of our lives. And unless you love the cold, then it would be. Difficult. Well, and there's a reason why seasonal affective disorder, it, the acronym is sad. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, you know, so I agree. Yeah. Get out sad, of there. Sad, Not to true. mention it's a little crazy in New York with the, Anyway, we won't go there, but, um, so, so, so you were born and raised in, in like in the city or upstate or where we're not upstate. I live in Long Island, um, oh, which okay. is more of the suburbs. It's about, yeah. I live approximately equidistant from the Hamptons to Manhattan. It takes about 
on a, on a good no traffic day, about 40 minutes, either direction. Wow. Interestingly, um, we picked up our daughter the other day from uh, LaGuardia airport and it took us 30 minutes there and 30 minutes back, literally. And then a few days later I traveled and my husband took me to the airport and it took an hour and a half one way. The same exact trip. We're a slave to the, to the traffic. (laughs) It can change a lot of things. I've flown in and out of LaGuardia. Now I've heard that LaGuardia changed a lot, not to get on this topic, but when I was there, like I had a layover. So I had to get off the plane, go through a terminal, go outside, get on a bus. And the bus drove me to, I was like, that's the only time I've ever had that happen. I'm like, what the heck? It's been a work over many years and it's still got years ahead um, on, on the updates and the upgrades to LaGuardia. In, inside, I think it used to be a real dump. It was like the most uninviting welcome to New York possible. It was. But they have, they have really, really elevated it. And inside, it's quite pretty in the areas that they have redone. But outside, it's, it, it's quite convoluted still. Yeah. So... So Karen, you were born in, what was it like for you growing up in, in, did you grow up in, in Long Island? Always. Okay. So I have a really good friend, very famous comedian that used to open, he worked at Rodney Dangerfield's, um, he, uh, like Eddie Murphy opened for this guy's name, Steve Rizzo. He lives on Long Island and he's one of my dearest friends, so. Um, Steve, Hey, if you're watching, there's another Long Islander. So, um, so, so what was it like for you as a kid? I mean, when, with, you know, what, what was it like? Did you go through, was it just all like rainbows and unicorns and life was beautiful? And perfect, or how, how was it growing up? Well, the story I create now of, of what happened then is definitely much more rainbows and unicorns now. Uh, my recollection is, is is painting a prettier picture. Uh, at the time, I definitely had a lot of a lot of issues in my own head about growing up and feeling a sense of unworthy. I think that that was really the the mantra I live by: is always comparing myself to others and feeling in inadequate or just not as good as. And that was something that plagued me for a lot of years. So in retrospect. Um, I think that I grew a lot from it, but it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns back then for me. What, 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 what do you think it was that made you, f- cause I can relate to that feeling unworthy and, and not good enough and all of that stuff. What do you think it was that was the driving force behind that? Um, I, I do have my, my mom was always, my mom was a, is still um, absolutely stunning. And when I was a kid, uh, I, I loved to showcase my mom. Like I would love her to come to school things and be the one who came on the field trips with us because I wanted everyone to just, my mom is just so stunning. Um, yeah. And I think that maybe part of, it, it wasn't a jealousy or anything, but it was just, I had, I had big shoes to want to fit into. I also happened to have been surrounded by a lot of beautiful friends. I had a lot of pretty girlfriends and I always felt like the, the ugly duckling compared to them and the one who was not as anything. Uh, 
in my, I, I wrote a book and in the book, um, in the, in the preface of the book, I, I talked about how, when I was a kid, when I was really little, I was so smart. I had what they called, um, a double brain, everyone, my teachers, my parents, everyone would call me double brain, even triple brain. And because of that, everything came so easy to me initially. So it was easy until it wasn't easy. And I, at that time, didn't know what to do with that. Like I didn't have to study. I didn't have to do all the work because I just, they would come to me to help every kid in class. They would come to me for the answers. And then it just wasn't that way for me anymore. And so what happened was I shrunk down. I started sitting in the back of the classroom. I didn't want to be called on anymore because I didn't know. And, right. and that made me feel like inadequate not worthy, not good enough. And I only saw everyone else's being better or more than me. Did that hat, did it, did it show it's um, rear it's head and later on in your teen years or in For high sure. school? Okay. Uh, what, yeah. How, so it led have? to, I, I was, I was the girl that all the boys wanted to be friends with to get closer to the girls that they wanted to get with. <laughs> so that that at least that's how I felt at the time, and yeah. it it ended up leading me to um, eating disorders. I had a lot of a lot of uh, body dysmorphia and needing to control something that I felt a lack of control of in my life, and so that was yeah. really the the way that I did that. The methodology that I did to try to gain that control was through through um, controlling what I ate or didn't eat, and. Uh, that then it became no longer about the boys and, and all of that. It became all about my problem and the problem escalated for, for years. And the good silver lining to that is it prompted me to finally, finally take the reins and heal myself. All of the right. traditional ways of working um, were not helping me. They were actually worsening me. And so I finally decided I'm tired of this way of living. And, and I think that had I not had that, I would not have gravitated towards the lifestyle I developed in my older years of really self-healing and self-development and personal growth and all of those kind of things. So it, it, it was a blessing, really. Yeah. Did you end up I mean, I'm assuming you graduated high school. Did you go to college? So this is confidential information, but because in high school, <laughs> in high school, I was, um, from my eating disorder, I was hospitalized for a few months. Oh, and wow. So that, it was really significant. <laughs> yeah. It, it took wow. over my, my day-to-day -day existence. Wow. And so because of that, they wanted the school, the they, they wanted me to repeat the entire year and therefore I wouldn't graduate with my graduating class. So thank you, Jill. Um, that's my wife, by the way. Oh, that's so sweet. So yeah. I, I wasn't going to graduate with my class. And I said, well, that's, that's not acceptable. And they said, so you could take the GED if you'd like. And yeah. then I was able to go to the prom and, and attend the graduation, even though I didn't get my certificate of graduation. Then it came time to take the GED and my son always makes fun of me and, and jokes around that like, you didn't even finish high school, but I, I didn't even have to take the GED because then when I went to a, a, a school for two year college, um, initially they said, if you get 36 credits in your first year, we'll get you the GED and you can just bypass that. So I did the 36 credits, got the GED and then moved on and got a scholarship to a four year college. And then everything really shifted. I became an academia kind of nerd. genius 
<laughs> the the genius that you are finally showed its head again. Yeah. So you know what's interesting though, Karen, is I I, I mean I went through um, something very similar. Mine was not an eating disorder; it was a drinking disorder. And um, and and I you know in in twelfth grade they said, hey, you didn't get a biology credit in tenth grade, and I'm like, yeah you know, I hated that class. That's why I just didn't go. And, and they're like, well, you need that credit to graduate. And I'm like, and I tried to negotiate, <laughs> like, uh, come on, I have straight A's in algebra, calculus, analytic geometry, everything. And you're gonna like, so I just walked out and never went back. Didn't get it. I always felt like a GED was an admission of failure or something. <laughs> and, and so but, you know, I had a teacher tell me I'd never amount to anything, an English teacher. And now I've written eight books and she's written zero. Um, so I don't know. But um, I think that it's it's really um, <laughs> Amy Lee. Holy crap. Um, look, <laughs> she is so Ah, good old, yeah. good old anal joke. <laughs> the 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 inside joke, and Joe Ingram is the genius. So hey, Joe. But the um, you know, I think that it comes down to application. Really, is is what it came down to for me because I just started reading like a madman. I thought, you know, whatever they teach in college, those thoughts originated somewhere. Like they had to originate from some, like, you know, they're reading out of 50 year old books They're They have to. And so I just, I just decided, I just, there's Carrie. What uh, she's walk into yeah. there. It's a long story. We're not going into the, the Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting is you said that um, someone mentioned to you that you wouldn't amount to anything and you did, yeah. but, the, the 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 problem for me was I didn't think I would amount to anything. Right. And, I get it. And yesterday I actually made a post about how I can say to you all day long, all, all every day, how amazing you are. But if you don't believe it, then my words won't mean anything. And if yeah. I tell you all day long that you won't amount to anything, but you have a strong conviction that you will, then I can't bring you down. And that was the problem for me is I, I was the one who needed to change my inner narrative. And that, yes, I, I totally agree. So, so you went, you ended up, did you end up with a bachelor's degree or did you just go all out and get a PhD? I didn't get a PhD, but I did, I, I have three bachelor's degree and then I went on to postgraduate work. Of course yeah. you did. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. And what was your degree in? I have a degree in psychology, biology, and nutrition, and then I became a registered dietitian. And my postgraduate was um, studying Eastern medicine. Wow. Okay. So did you get yeah. the a master's degree? I guess is that what it's? It's not a master's uh, degree, but I did my study. Ayurveda is the Eastern medicine. It's it's uh, in India where I did my internship. Um, they actually called me a doctor of Ayurvedic medicine. In, in the United States, there's um, the National Ayurvedic Association, and I worked with them for several years to create a curriculum of a doctor licensing of Ayurveda in the United States, which now they have. Wow. It's finally, it's finally after all the years, been accepted as, as a credential. 
so you went you went to India? I did. Oh my gosh. How long? Uh I did my internship was I believe a little over a month, like about five weeks. Okay. Wow. How was that? Interesting. Um <laughs> So I also, in, in the time after graduating from nutrition and I had a private practice, I started studying or, or, or I started practicing yoga, which then became a study of yoga. And I, I taught yoga for about 25 years. I taught yoga and meditation and breath work. And um, in the style of yoga that I was teaching, it was requested for practitioners and teachers to go to India every single year. And the irony is, is that I could not do that because I was a mother of three young right. kids at the time. So I always thought my day would come where I will be able to go to India every year and 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 do the pilgrimage every single year. Um, and now my kids are all older, and that's not something that even interests me to pursue. But I did do the the internship for the five weeks. It was a one time deal. My husband, my husband and I talked about it and said this is this is not something I could just disappear for that long on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that would have made it really challenging to raise kids. Um, so, so I, I love everything we're talking about. Um, so you get, you get through all of your educational studies and, um, what I'm, I'm trying to do the math. You were, um, probably, <laughs> look, <laughs> Do you see this, <laughs> this my comment? Husband, my husband is a gem. <laughs> Just ask. Is that him your husband? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, Richard. So, um, so you you go through, um, you get through all this. What did you do after that? What was next for you? Uh, teaching yoga for for a long time was was my my real path and my career. Um, wow. And it, it's been fabulous. Um, I love yoga. It's a, it's a big part of my everyday experience now as a practitioner. Uh, interestingly, like with all of the academia that we were talking about, my father used to say to me, when are you going to stop practicing yoga and just be the expert? When, are you just, when, when do you have to stop doing the practice? Because every day I would say, I'm going to go do my yoga practice. And he would say, when, you, when, when do you have to stop practicing and you get to do uh, it as an expert? And I said, I'm a student of life, so I know that I'll always be studying and, and always learning and always growing. And uh, so yoga is a, is a very, very heart-connected place for me, but I no longer am teaching uh, as, as, a, as a way of, like, my profession anymore. Tell me, I've never, I mean, I've meditated every day of my life for over 20 years now, um, but tell me what yoga is, because I've never... I practice, I mean, I do breath work when I'm meditating, but what, what is yoga for well, those who don't know? I, yeah. I mean, obviously I've seen the poses. I, I, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what, but what is it? What's, what's, what's the benefit? What's it about? I, there's so many different ways to talk about yoga. Um, in the Western world, it has become much more about being flexible and the Gumby aspect of it, but there's much more to it. Yoga is really an understanding of the mind, body, and soul. It is a mindful practice. And the reason why many people come to yoga is to suffer less. 
Now I'm not talking about like malignant types of suffering. It could be benign day-to-day sufferings, things that are just plaguing us, things that we're stuck in. And yoga is a conduit. It's an opportunity or a modality to help us get out of that world of suffering and to start feeling more liberated and ultimately to, to feel a sense of enlightenment, to feel a higher sense of consciousness. That's what yoga is. And Ironically, the sister science to that is Ayurveda, which is the study that I I learned of Eastern medicine. And that is more of the bodily functions to create healing or health in the body. So the two of them together synthesizes the the healing of the mind and then the healing of the body so that we can become a well-being human, a well-being person. So, okay, is that like, all meditation is it, i mean it, it, i i'm like if somebody came somebody like me that's never done yoga what where where would i begin so there's a lot of different styles of yoga there is very physically um vigorous kind of practices there's ones that are more physical and by that it's like you use the body as a tool to be able to create focus of the mind if if i asked you to just sit and meditate for your first time just Hey, we're going to, we're going to sit and do nothing for a half an hour. That's a lot. The the mind is called like a monkey mind where it's just jumping around from thought to thought to thought and to quiet the monkey mind is not to just sit in silence. You can't shut down the mind thoughts, but you can direct them. And if you have something to, to do, then you're directing them in a conscious way. And so when you're doing the postures, it's directing you to be able to use your breath and your body to help you. Uh, focus your mind's attention. So there's one practices that are much more physical. And then there's one that are more restorative and relaxing and calming. Uh, We can produce different results by our breath, our meditation, our focus, and our physical practice. We can do ones that are what is called Brahmana. Brahmana is very uplifting and energizing. So for someone who's, who's um, lazy for all purposes, if they do a Brahmana practice, which is stimulating and helping them energize, it's going to get them to a higher level of feeling a frequency of not so lethargic and not so dark or down. Conversely, a person who is very energetic, almost like the ADHD, they need something that's going to be a little more grounding and calming and nurturing. So the yoga practices that people take on often are the ones that they're attracted to because like attracts like. However, sometimes what we like is not what we should be gravitating towards because we need to infuse the opposite to create that homeostasis, that kind of balance. So we need to figure out what it is that we want, what it is that we need to want from the practice itself. Are we wanting more, more energy or are we wanting more calm? Are we wanting more stability or are we wanting more flexibility? Depending on what we want, we can really curate the practice to support that rather than just going to a class and taking someone's class and leaving, just saying, Oh, that was hard or that was good or that was easy, or I couldn't do that. I couldn't get into that pose. That's the sentiment of the Western mind when it comes to yoga, but it's really a lot more complex. Yeah. Wow. Very good and detailed explanation. Um, Sandra says must admit post-cancer me loves Hoga. Hi yoga 420. 
Okay. Um, Darlene is on here. Hey, Darlene. So, so, okay. Talk about with the, um, so you, you said you taught yoga for how long, how long did you teach it? 25 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Would you start when you were two? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I taught for a long time. Simultaneous to teaching yoga, I was I had I had initially started as a registered dietitian, so I had a private practice, um, and so I, I essentially was doing a lot of health coaching because in nutrition it was seeing people doing consulting work. I worked in clinical settings too in hospitals. Um, initially, wow. I worked at a heart a heart. Uh, it was a heart healthy hospital. They did mostly like cardiatric, uh, uh, cardiac patients and so forth. Um, wow. and then I, they had a lot of renal patients too. So I was the one who was doing all of the formulations for the feeding tubes and okay. the nutrients that people needed to get if they weren't able to eat what's called enteral nutrition. So I was doing right. it through feeding tubes and I created all of those, those calculations for them in the hospitals. And then I did private practice where I worked with people who wanted to lose weight or get in better shape. I was affiliated with a lot of health centers and gyms. I would do consulting work with gyms so that they can feed their clients to me to work on their nutrition aspects of, of health and wellness. So uh, as a, you said, you had a private practice as a dietitian. What, I, I, what does that, I mean, so that's just somebody who's like, Hey, I have a sugar addiction, which I may or may not have. Um, but uh, <laughs> I was, it's funny. It's crazy. Cause everything always comes to you when you need it. I was literally yesterday or the day before thinking, I need to Google how to break a sugar addiction because it's ridiculous. But so is that like what somebody would come to you for, or they have, um, Amy. <laughs> these awful. Oh um, interestingly, when I first opened the doors to having my private practice as a nutritionist, I, at the time in my, it, it was in my mid twenties, I had a condition called endometriosis um, and wow. it is, I had a lot of uh, abdominal pain and distress. I went from gastroenterologists to all different kinds of doctors to try to see what's going on. Right. And finally, I, uh, the, the gynecologist I was working with at the time said, I think it's time we do exploratory surgery. I tried all different medications that put me into pseudomenopause. Um, wow. And I was, I was 24 at the time. Um, Jeez. so I, I was going through a lot hormonally. I opened the doors to my private practice. The first client, the first client comes in and it was a woman who is about my current age now. And she says, I'm going through menopause, which I wouldn't understand. She says to me, um, I've been gaining all this weight, which I wouldn't understand because I was 24. And I said to her, no, I really get it. I I'm going through what's called pseudomenopause. I'm on a medication. And she was like, I'm over double your age. Like you won't understand this. And right. the, the reality was, is that I, I may have not understood it in terms of the, the chronology of age sequencing. I was only, you know, in my twenties and she's in her early fifties, but right. I was, I was hormonally going through it. I was having the hot flashes. I was gaining the weight. I was feeling irritability. I was horm I could cry at the drop of a hat. You know, it, it, it was a lot for a young person to go through. I had so much discomfort abdominally with the endometriosis that I took a, a leave of absence 
from my dietetic internship at the time. It was a year-long program. Uh, so, so I got the heartache that goes with menopause. And now, having had gone through it literally, uh, I, I have right. a relatability to I have a relatability to a lot of women. I, I'm sitting here going, there's no way you're old enough to have gone through freaking menopause. No way. <laughs> um, I, but I, my wife is on here. She probably will love me announcing this, but she's, you know, experiencing that right now. And so um, I see it. It's no fun. And and it's no fun to be on the receiving end of it. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, so I, there's a lot of women, I think that go through it and, um, just suffer through it in, in silence or, um, or alone, I guess. So, um, that's, that seems like a really, really good thing to help people with for sure. She said, what? <laughs> that I think is the, the way that I had a natural progression. It wasn't like a change of career paths. I didn't, I didn't completely change in different directions, but I think there was a, an evolution. So from nutrition and psychology was one of my degrees. So I always had this mindfulness and this, this desire to learn how the human, human mind works and behavioral uh, psychology, et cetera. So that was always something that infused my, my desire to learn. I studied uh, biology because I always had a scientific uh, inclination. Um, but because then I started studying yoga, I became very philosophical and very spiritual. And so I questioned, I questioned the spirituality with logical thinking. And I questioned logical thinking with more of the, like the critical ideas and the data-based information. I questioned that with just more of a philosophical approach. Like, is that really true? Or, or is there another way? And right. so that evolution really is how I, I went from the nutrition, much more of the Western approach to something a little more spiritual. And then with that became personal growth and development and studying with a lot of the, the, the more premiered people that we, we, we all know and, and, admire. Um, I learned from a lot of them and I became a life coach through the process of my own growths. So as a life coach, what are you, uh, how do I say, cause I, I coach, I, I'm a business coach. And so I, I, I get that, but what are people coming to you for? I mean, I, you know, like, I could stand to lose some weight. Is that what they come to you for? Is no, it, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional mess and I don't know how to, you know, I, what is it? Who's your over the years, audience? over the years, I've refined who it is that I attract and okay. who I attract now is not just anyone who wants help because they feel broken. I, okay. I, I think I have developed my, my, coaching to appeal to purpose-driven women who want to do more. I say that I teach the codes to having it all. And by all, I mean having the relationship, the business, the ability to not feel like you can't parent to have a business, to not feel like you have a business and you can't be a good parent, to uh, having the body and the health and wellness that you want. Having it all, the fulfillment, the love, the joy, the everything, really. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to work with people 
in a sense of fixing them or helping them to not be broken. I want to, that becomes a need. If you're broken, you need fixing. I like to work with women uh, that just want more. They desire more. They know that there is more there for them. And, and I help them to, to tap into those desires and execute so that they can be more. That's awesome. So when, when did you shift from, so you were, you were doing the, you said at the time you were teaching yoga, you were also doing the nutritional um, stuff in various capacities. Um, Was there, when was the, the, the switch? When did you flip into the life coaching stuff? I would say that I, I, grew from just teaching yoga when I started feeling, and this is part of my practice actually, is helping women to normalize what success is, whatever their success is for them. And a a huge part of that is money and creating the, the currency of wealth and abundance and money being one of those currencies there's a, a a large world of people in the spiritual or the change makers or the ones that are tapped into the healing modalities that have this incongruency that it's either this or you're money hungry. And I, I, I think that there's a strong way to be able to understand we have to be generously compensated for our work so that our work can reach further and impact more people. And if we're feeling that we're spiritual beings, like when I taught yoga, I remember, um, and it's not the case all across the board, but a lot of people have this sentiment. There's something called seva, and seva is like the service of. You do it only for the service of, sort of akin to doing pro bono work. And what I've come to realize, if I choose to do something pro bono, if I choose to do something for a charitable cause, I am making the decision that I do not need to get financial benefits or, or in exchange financially from that. I'm choosing to. But my career, my vocation as a, as a yoga teacher was not that I wanted to do this and not get paid. And that mentality started drawing me a little bit away from wanting to teach. I was seeing that they, no, no places wanted to pay me for all of the years of intense study that I put forth towards that. And when I saw that that was becoming how I felt about it, I needed to yeah. figure out how am I going to make my career path? How am I going to grow my career so that I can make other teachers feel like they have the right to be generously compensated for the work they're doing. And so that evolution in terms of my life coaching has been gravitated to working with women to help them be able to hold success. I would say that if you have any issues with mixing spirituality with becoming wealthy, um, go watch some Reverend Ike. <laughs> that'll, that'll trigger you. Um, you know, well, you said you watched the the thing I did with his son and Mark Victor Hansen the other night. And that's, I, I, that's something that I think I personally struggled with for a long time was, was, you know, how do I go out and do good works and be wealthy? Is that even possible? Um, and I think that a lot of people do that. I, 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 I really do. I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel that way. And, and it's this misrepresentation of some conditioned ideas around money. 
Actually, I, I've been thinking about it, but I'm creating um, a, a podcast that's called The Wealthy Healer. And the healer aspect is is really bringing in the spirituality and the understanding of the, the, the service to. Um, but wealthy is more than just money. Wealthy is an abundant mindset. And it's how you feel about being amazing, how you feel about having it all, holding it all. And, and, and money is, money is a big part of that. Yeah, it is. You can't like, it's very difficult to help the masses if you're broke. It's just right. It's very hard to reach and extend your amazing work. If you're confined to a small local area, because you're not able to get paid for what it is that you're doing in the first place. That's correct. I, I agree with that. And normally I would save this for towards the end, but I, I, I just want to, I'm going to throw it out there and let's, let's talk about this. Um, you know, I truly believe that I, look, I've been as an adult, I've been homeless and as an adult, I've been extremely wealthy and wealthy is better, way better. Um, I mean, the, I, it is like period. So with that in mind, what do you feel really, and you can't say fear, that's the number one answer to this question. I know you can do better. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're like, no pressure. I'm on it. <laughs> but, but what do you feel holds people back in life from having it all? And I'm talking about financial abundance. I'm talking about real freedom, joy, happiness, the whole thing. What is the number one thing that's holding people back in life from having all of that? Oh, fear. <laughs> um, oh, all right. Thanks for stopping by. I'm kidding. It's our own conditioning. And, and the conditioning happens to us from earlier years than we even have a recollection of. And it's, it's all of the people that influenced us in our younger years of what it is to have money and and what it is to feel abundant and what it is to have it all and and telling our kids we can't afford to do that or you only get one and it, it's so much of the common narrative that we hear we've heard over the years that become how we are are conditioned to believe it's it's very finite it's very predictable and when we're living in a predictability of certainty and we want certainty we want safety it's it's part of it's part of the human experience to want to feel safe but if we're only living in a predictable world then how is magic money how is magic possibility happening we have to enter another sphere and that is feeling unlimited it's feeling that we can tap into our potentiality amen i i, I agree with that totally agree with that so what, what is, talk about what you, what you do, what's your daily business practice? What do you, what do you do now? You, you just meet with people, coach them. What, how, how does it work? Um, I coach people um, virtually. I'm hundred percent online. I think that the transition from COVID was really helpful in that regard to yeah. become a hundred percent online. Uh, I didn't mention, but I am an NLP practitioner and a hypnotist also. So before that, wow. I was having people come to the practice and I have um, my beautiful uh, lazy boy chair where they would sit in. And now it just has some 
stuff stored on it, but it's a, it's a really cozy chair. And I've learned that you could do everything online. And there's actually some benefit to doing online work because people are now able to stay in the confines of their comfort, whether it's their home or their place of business or whatever. The change work is not happening because you come to my, my office. The change work is happening because you're in the place that you normally are and you're able to see that we can work through some of the chokeholds, some of those stuck points. And basically working with clients one-on-one gives an opportunity, not for me telling you what to do. I don't really work like that. It's not, it's not do what I say. I'm not as much of an accountability coach, but it's having conversations that give you the aha moments Mm and those aha moments. It changes the way you think, whatever you thought before you see something differently. Now it's like, Oh, the light went on and now I see it differently. And those are the moments that change our lives. So I work from a place of insights and I work with people that are interested in that transformation. So online work, um, I do do some programs, whether they're self-paced and you can go into my vault and buy some prepaid programs that are things I've done in the past, or I like to run some live current programs when I feel inspired by that. I don't know if you're familiar with human design, but I'm a generator in human design. And what that means is that I have to listen to my sacral pull. Like, like if it's a yes, it's a yes. If it's a no, uh, it's gotta be a no, or at least it's gotta be, uh, tabled until another time where I decide that it is now time to look Mm -hmm. at it again. But if it's not a yes, I don't want to do it. And so I've locked myself into like long-term things, like even doing this 365 day reels challenge. I did it for about eight months and I was like, I committed, I'm a committed person. But I realized I I, I was starting to not enjoy doing it. And I didn't feel that it was doing what I had hoped it would do for me, for my Mm -hmm. business, for the people. So I I decided to stop. And as a generator in my human design, I have to listen. Don't commit to a year. Maybe commit to a month, two months, whatever it is. And then feel how I'm feeling at that point in time and then reassess. So I think that that's really important too. I do live programs so that it's not just in the vault and you can come back to information I've done in the past where I've almost changed or I've redirected myself. I like to do things live so that you can feel my current energy. I love, that's literally what I teach. Literally. Like you've got to do it live. If you're not doing it live, you lose the authenticity factor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just not feeling what I, what I did then. Even if I still feel the same way about it, I would present it differently. And so it's just not capturing some, something that I think live does that, that pre-recorded stuff doesn't it's literally what I teach. Like I have an Academy teaching this. I, I, yes, I agree. So, so, um, talk about what NLP is. I know what it is neuro linguistic programming. I heard you say the aha moment, which goes back to gestalt therapy and, um, which is also, uh, was Richard Bandler and I forget the other guy's name um, that, that created Gestalt therapy. And I believe they had a lot to do with NLP. Yes. If if I'm not mistaken. Um, I happen to be friends with the the father of NLP, Wyatt Woodsmall, who taught Tony Robbins NLP. Um, But talk about that NLP, how people can use it, how you use it to help people. 
NLP is a modality and I, I use it not in the context of which, which, uh, which technique am I using? Right. I'm going to go use this technique or this technique. It has just become information and I've taken on the information and as I've integrated it and I've embodied the information, it's no longer about I'm using this technique or that technique. It's about implementing the best way and the best, the best opportunities for the people I'm working with to figure out things, to be able to have a new lens for thinking, seeing, and feeling the way that they interact with themselves in the world. So I moved away from the idea of hypnosis being just about the inductions and getting people into a deep trance state and how fast you can do the inductions. And it's more of a communication that I use these modalities or tools to help people to be more suggestive or receptive to the idea of subconscious reprogramming to help them move beyond the blocks or the things that were their stuck points in the past, things that have held them back. Um, mm. And so I, I like a lot of the presuppositions of NLP, which help us to just see the world in a better way. One of my favorite ones is, is quite common is there's, there's really no such thing as failure, only feedback. And that really gives us this opportunity to say, even if I have failed, even if I have a setback, even if I'm challenged or made an error, it's not defeating me. It's an opportunity for me to take the lesson and move forward. And then I have success. Right. Right. Um, so for the average person, how, how would somebody use NLP to their, their benefit on a, on a daily basis? How would someone use NLP on a daily basis? I think NLP really in that context becomes just an opportunity of personal growth and awareness, conscious awareness, conscious awareness of the things that are holding you back, of your weaknesses, of your strengths, so that you can highlight your strengths and you can strengthen your weaknesses and become more of a conscious leader, meaning leading yourself. Um, we talk, people talk a lot about leadership. And I actually, this past weekend, spoke at a, at a hypnosis conference, the Mid-America uh, Hypnosis Conference in Chicago. And I spoke about a new paradigm of leadership and feminine and masculine energetics, like synthesizing the two of them so that we can lead from a place that is trusting ourselves and really um, initiating from a place of trust. So we're harmonizing. We're not relying just on masculine energy, which is that hustle, the go, 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 the pushing, the massive action without the idea of trusting in, in oneself. And yeah. I'll give you a, for instance, if I was to launch a program and I'm not having the registration that I would like to have in the past, I have done this. I've pulled the plug and said, I'm not doing it. I'm, we're, we're canceling, canceled. And the reason I've done that is so that I can gain some control back instead of it being a flop and letting outside forces create my flop. I created yeah, an internal flop and I at least had the control to know that I was the reason for this outcome. I canceled it. It, it didn't fail. I just canceled. Right. It's really semantics. Um, the feminine energy would be to trust the process and not have to just only need the result, which is a masculine thing, but to trust the process. So NLP for me is an opportunity to really gain self-leadership, to trust in oneself, to be able to lead yourself. And the person who leads themselves can then be the 
the model, which NLP really stands for is modeling success after someone. Um, so you emulate, you're successful. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to the things that you do. I'm going to ask you, what do you do in the morning? How do you, how do you do your day? So I can understand what does it take to be a successful human, a person. Right. And then I emulate those things. I take some of those attributes and I start to apply them. So with anything, when it, going to the gym, find someone who is masterful at that. And when we start doing this, we start feeling or sensing that everyone has genius. I may be amazing at this, but I may stink at that. So let me find someone who's amazing at that, and then I can elevate myself. That would be the way that NLP helps everybody on a day-to-day -day basis is because we find the success from someone and we start doing the things that we can do to mimic that success. That's awesome. So I don't know if you, I, I'm, I would imagine you do, um, or have at least studied or listened to Joe Dispenza. Sure. Um, I, I love Joe and, and he talks about, um, the, the, um, <laughs> you know, as a, an average human, um, what is it? 95% of the, the, the conver conversations we're having with ourselves daily or the thoughts we have are the same thoughts we had the day before. And right. that half of the conversations we're having, we're making up their lies. They're not even true. Um, and, and so I think about that and I'm, I'm wondering for you, I know me, I personally, I, I wake up to the judge, jury and executioners every single day of my life. You know, it's like, uh, I gotta, I gotta calm that down. But for the average person that's maybe not, um, <coughs> ever thought about seeking a higher spiritual, um, plane or development, how do you help people or how do you help yourself rather when you have those thoughts of negativity, those thoughts of judgment where you're starting to judge yourself and doubt yourself, how do you turn that around? It's a great question. Um, I'll give you a little background on that. When I taught yoga, people would think and assume that I had no problems in the world and I must be this, you know, spiritually enlightened kumbaya person who doesn't have stress, who doesn't have pressure, who doesn't have any challenges. And it's not true. We just learn to be able to manage through them better. We see them better because we're very self-aware. And the same thing currently, if I have any issues, which I do, uh, or I have any negative thoughts, which I do, uh, I, I have an awareness to see them and I move through them more rapidly. So I don't get stuck in them the way that they used to. Um, even, even if I'm feeling down, I can see that happening. And instead of letting that spiral or just fester, I notice them a lot faster and I'm able to move through them. And, and a big question I ask myself is, okay, now what? So instead of the victim mentality where it's like, this is the crappy Hand, uh, hand of cards that I'm dealt, I might have that and I can answer to that. And now what? What do I do with that? So I become more proactive. It, it takes a position of personal power to move beyond the circumstances or the circumstantial power, which is situational, good or bad. If this sucks, then I suck. That's a, that's a poor way of circumstantial power. Or if this is great, then I'm great. But we All have right. to move beyond the circumstantial power because that's situational and, and sometimes it can work to our advantage or disadvantage, but personal power is I'm okay. No matter what, 
If I, if I lose this client, if I have a big flop in my launch, I'm still great. I'm, I'm still happy. I've still got everything else going for me and, and this too shall pass. So it's really, it's really, um, an attitude of gratitude for everything that is to help you move the past or beyond the stuck points that can otherwise really bring you down. Gratitude is the, the key. For sure. It's the key to everything. You know, I think about, cause I, I've read everything studied multiple times, Dr. Wayne Dyer's stuff. And, you know, he talks about how he never had a cold. <laughs> I'm like, what? And here we're talking and you have a cold. <laughs> and I have a cold. <laughs> and I've had them too. And I think, how does somebody get to that level where they can, they literally can, can fight off the common cold with their, their mindset. It's it, it when I get there, I, I, uh, if I ever get there, I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> but I, that's, that takes some serious, that's a spiritual ninja. I, a spiritual I ninja. I love that. I, I absolutely spiritual ninja. Yeah. Note to self. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not that enlightened myself in that regard. I, I have a cold now. Uh yeah. here's here's a perfect example. Last night I was as stuffy as stuffy could be. I I literally could I I, I could not have any space to breathe nasally. And so I said yeah. to my husband, I have two requests. One is that because I know the the, the sequencing of me getting sick, it starts in my ears, it goes in my throat, then it goes in my nose, and then I lose my voice. So I said, I hope I don't have a coughing fit through this interview. I hope that I don't sneeze and just have an explosive on this interview with you. (laughs) I hope my throat manages to get me through this day. After today, I don't know. Tomorrow, my voice may be shot, but I'm not evolved enough where I don't get sick. Uh, I don't get sick often because I take good care of my health. But there are times of the year when this juncture of seasons is happening this is my sick time every, pretty much every year I get sick in the, in the mid to late October time. Probably need to stop claiming that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm giving, gonna... this is my last year that this will be happening. I there you go. No longer party. I, I, <laughs> I think about the movie. What about Bob? Where in the beginning, he's like, I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful, you know, and I've, I've done that mantra when I feel like crap and I don't know, I think sometimes it's helped, but, um, you know, I, I, I do think that there is, um, there is a, a line between spirituality and science. And I know that scientific minds sometimes have a more difficult time grasping the complete um, spiritual side. And it sounds like you've done both. So well done. You're using left and right. So yeah. So is there anything else that you would like the audience to know about you? What's your, let's is what's your website that everybody can go check out and, 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 um, follow you. My website is Karen Pretty simple. Uh, I actually have an amazing new website designer who's redoing it and it should be up and running. It is current. I mean, you can go to it, but I have a beautiful one that's going to be happening within the next few days. And I'm really excited for it. She's world-class. I am very, very savvy with my Instagram account. And so that's Karen.doobie. 
Um, and Facebook, we're here right now. So that's, that's yeah. me on Facebook. Um, those are my three platforms, I think, to enter my virtual world in the best way. Um, catch me and see what's, what's up and coming. What else do I want to share? Uh, yeah, what's, what's the, like, let's pretend for a moment that all 8 billion people on planet earth are going to hear this message right here for the next 60 seconds or so. What would you tell the world that, that they need to do <laughs> to experience everything wealth freedom happiness total joy what would you say to everyone on the planet okay the tagline on my website is be you be extraordinary and be extraordinary being you don't try to be someone else they're great at being them you be you you bring your best self and when you bring your best self then you don't have to overdo. You don't have to overgive. You don't have to overextend yourself because you're so full of everything that is the most aligned positioning of yourself. You are the most aligned you when you are feeling great about just being you. So be extraordinary at being you. That I would say is my words of wisdom to anybody and everybody. Karen, you're amazing. Uh, and thank you for not canceling. You showed up anyway. <laughs> And um, thank you for not sneezing and blowing snot all over the camera. That, that would I was, I was, I was praying. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> but anyway, listen, I think you're amazing. Everybody go over to KarenDoobie.com. Um, check her out. I'm sure your social media is all listed on there as well. And look for her on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere and give her a follow. And Karen, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing you. your wisdom and your joy. You, you're, you're amazing. So thank you. Um, thank you. I, I really appreciate I, it. Me too. I right back at you. I really, really appreciate you having me here as your guest. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thank you. And everybody stay with me, Karen. Don't leave. It's going to feel like I left here in a minute, but I'm, I'll be back. Let's you and I chat real quick, but Everybody um, watching, go over or listening to the podcast, go over to Karen Doobie, D-U-B-I. If you're listening, it's D-U-B-I. Karen, by the way, you've redeemed all the Karens in the world. So with your, <laughs> <laughs> you're not all your right. typical Karen. That should be, that should be your tagline right not there. Not your typical Karen. I'm Karensmatic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So everybody, make sure you go follow Karen. Go to her website, karendoobie.com. Check her out. Karen, thank you so much for being on today. And we'll see you all later. Have a great day.